0: As much as you did, if not more, First Corinthians chapter two, chapter 12 and verse 27 will be our text this morning as we talk about the discipline of church membership, the discipline of church membership. We've been going through a series on various disciplines. We're calling them devotional disciplines, devotional because we do them out of a love for Jesus Christ. Not trying to make me happy, not trying to make your life better necessarily, not trying to please someone else, and not trying to earn brownie points. You're doing it because you love Jesus. So it's a devotional, but it's a discipline because it's something you have to choose to do. You must be intentional about it. It doesn't come naturally. There's some things we do, it just, I, I almost never forget to eat. I mean, <laughs> you get hungry, you go, you find something to eat. That really doesn't take discipline to eat. What it takes discipline to do is not to overeat that's where the discipline comes in for me. And this discipline of church membership is one of those disciplines more of the soul than of the body. Yes, we have to bring our bodies here. I get that, but it's a discipline of the soul. And frankly, it's very uh, basic to the Christian life. I was reminded of a, a statement that Vance Havner made this week. He said, there are many who say they want to be victorious Christians But few are willing to endure the discipline necessary to make one a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There is a prize to possess, but before we possess it, there is a price to be paid, and few will pay it. End of that quote. He's he's right. You know, we want the benefits of God's blessings, we want his provision, we want his protection, but so often we are not willing to pay any price not willing to go out of our comfort zone to do anything for him. And we have to get out of that comfort zone. We have to sometimes make ourselves do things that we don't feel like doing. Maybe when we don't want to do, we we know in our minds we ought to, but we don't feel like it, we don't want to do it. We've got to make ourselves, we've got to be disciplined in our Christian life. Let's uh, just review quickly some of these disciplines that we've already gone over. There was the discipline of prayer setting aside time to pray. Now, I hope that you pray during the days. Good things happen. You thank the Lord immediately. As sin happens, you confess sin immediately. When when you need help, especially you need wisdom, you can ask God for wisdom. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So I hope you're doing that throughout your day. But I also hope you're setting aside time each day when all you do is pray. You focus on your prayers. You concentrate on What is God doing in my life? I'm going to thank him for that. Who is God? I'm going to praise him for that. And what is he doing that I need to pray for help, for grace, for strength, for wisdom, for energy, for enthusiasm? Prayer is a discipline. The second discipline was the discipline of meditation. That is meditating on the word of God. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. The third discipline was the discipline of giving being alert to the Holy Spirit's prompting to give. The fourth discipline was the discipline of responding to the Holy Spirit. And frankly, all of these disciplines require a response to the Holy Spirit. So we talked about that. And remember, responding to the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not you getting more of what you want, It's God getting more of what he wants. He wants all of me. So that's what responding to the Holy Spirit was all about. We talked about the discipline of gratitude, being thankful. And then we talked about the discipline of victorious Christian living. Life is always going to be a struggle, this side of glory, this side of eternity. That's why, while my heart is broken for the Granger family, I rejoice that our brother Lynn no longer has to struggle. He doesn't struggle to breathe doesn't struggle to eat, doesn't struggle to speak. He's free of all those limitations. But it's the struggle against sin. He's free of that struggle. I don't know about you. That that is the biggest blessing of heaven that I'm looking forward to right now. I'm not saying that's the only blessing. But not to even be tempted by sin anymore because there is no sin in God's presence. Anyway, the the victorious Christian living, the the discipline two weeks ago of gospel sowing, and then last week, humility, because when we are humble, God gives us grace to live these out, not just as rote, not just as ritual, not just doing them because we have to, or because someone's watching us, or we want to check the box, but out of a genuine love for God. But when we get proud, and we think, yeah, I'm pretty good. Look at all these disciplines. I'm doing them. Look, it's working. I'm doing it. Boy, God resists the proud. So the uh, humility is the disciplines dynamo. Now this week, another devotional discipline, again devotional because I want you to do it because you love God, but a discipline because you're going to have to make some choices. And the discipline is this discipline of church membership. Now I thought about church attendance and church attendance is good. I hope that you will make it a habit to come and worship with us on Sunday mornings Sunday nights. Come study the Bible with us. We have a ladies Bible study in the ministry room. We have a men's Bible study here. We have classes for the children. Come study the Bible with us on Wednesday nights. But more than just attending church, more than just being here and worshiping with us, I hope you will catch a vision. If you're not already, you'll catch a vision for being a member of Elmira Baptist Church. And if you're already a member of the church, that you'll see how important that membership is. So let's start with that. Let's start with the reasons to be a church member. And here in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27, it says this, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now I know, let's, let's, let's interpret this verse correctly. I know that the membership there is membership in the body of Christ. Okay. You are a member of the body of Christ. I, I, I get that. I'm not going to dispute that at all. Let me show you another passage here. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. If you'll turn with me. We're going to be in Hebrews 3 a couple times today, so we're going to hold our place there. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, verse 6. And I know we're breaking into a long logical stream here, but just look at verse 6 with me. But Christ, as a son over his own house, Whose house are we? Whose house are we? Now, this is not a building house. This talks about a group of people that all are related to each other. We might use the word family today. So Christ is a son over his family, over those that are members of his family. And we are part of that family. One more verse. Hold your place in Hebrews chapter 3 and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And look at verse 19 with me, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Paul is closing his message, his letter, to the people there at Corinth. And this is what he has to say to them in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. He says, the churches, notice that's plural, the churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So there's these churches, plural in Asia, and they all greet the folks at Corinth. But then there's also a particular church that meets in Aquila and Priscilla's house that isn't, I mean, it's a subset of the churches of Asia, but it's a particular church. And this is where membership comes down to. Membership is a Christian. You're already a Christian. You're already a part of the body of Christ. But when you commit to one particular visible meeting of those Christians, that's what church membership is about. Church membership has grown out of our need as groups, as organizations, to know who's with us and who's not with us. You can understand here at this time there were certain people that met in Aquila and Priscilla's house. There were other churches in Asia they could have gone to, but they chose to meet in this particular house. They were associated with that particular church. Now, I, I, I see what's happening. This is how I perceive American culture. But let me back up before I get to American culture and tell you a little bit about Mongolian culture. As you know, we spent 11 years in outer Mongolia, learned the language, loved people, talked to people, had a lot of conversations with the Mongolians. And Mongolians are nominally Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist to be exact. And so in Mongolia, there are temples and monasteries. And among any given Mongolian, Buddhist Mongolian, is not associated with any temple or with any monastery. No, they're not. They know where they are. They can tell you about them. And usually each monastery, each temple will have its own theme, maybe its own set of gods. Maybe it'll have a famous monk or a famous uh, Buddhist sage that lives there and does things there. And so when you get in trouble, when a Mongolian needs help, their mind begins to think, which of these temples, which of these monasteries is most likely to be a help to me? We had a lady we knew personally, who before she became a Christian, she was a Buddhist, and she wanted a visa to the United States. Actually, if I remember correctly, she just wanted a visa out of the country. (laughs) She didn't care where she ended up, but she wanted a visa out of the country. So she went to one of these Mongolian temples, and they said, oh, you'd like a visa out of the country. If you'll pay us a certain amount of money, we'll say prayers for you, and by saying prayers for you, you're more likely to get a visa. So she gave him the money, and she told him, you know, this is what I want you to pray for, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and nothing happened. But here's my point. They see temples and monasteries as a place they go to get help. And have you noticed that a lot of Americans are beginning to see churches like that? They, they have a crisis in their life. Maybe they're going through a rough patch in their marriage. And praise the Lord, God can give you grace to heal a broken marriage. But they, they're going through a rough patch, patch in their marriage and they say, boy, I got to get back into church or they have children. And all of a sudden they think, boy, you know, I have some children. Maybe I want my children to be religious. And so they bring their children to church. Or maybe they run into a financial difficulty and they need some money. So they come to church. We had a group uh, a family come last Sunday. And they were looking for some money. And I gave them some of my own personal cash. And that's what I had. And, uh, but that's what they were looking for. And I, I invited them back this week. Of course, they can't come back this week because they got to find money elsewhere, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But here's my point. They have a particular need, money, uh, uh, financial help, uh, uh, marital help, or or some other type of help. Maybe they're sick, and they want people to pray for them, so they come to church and they say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm sick. And then as soon as that problem goes away, what happens to that person? They disappear. And they show up again when they need more help. And so some of our Mongolian uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we were we were so burdened for them because they would be fine. They would show up and they'd be coming regularly for a month or two, and we'd be working through some issue with them, and then that issue would be resolved, and they would disappear again. Four or five months later, they'd show up, new problem. We need more help. That's not what I'm talking about today. The church is a hospital and we want spiritually sick people to come to this hospital because Jesus is the great physician, and he can heal. But a hospital also needs staff. Have you noticed that? You ever been to a hospital without any staff? Maybe some of you lived in New York a couple weeks ago when all the nurses go in on strike. And you show up at the hospital, and they say, you know what, you're going to have to wait for a couple hours. We don't have anyone to look at you, right? You know what it is like to go into an emergency room And if you are not in the middle of a medical crisis, you can often sit there for several hours waiting for medical help. I'm I'm not being critical. I'm just saying hospitals need staff. And just like hospitals need staff, churches need volunteers. Otherwise, how does the church minister? Now, in Mongolia, the, the sad truth was most Mongolians who worked at a church, they were paid. They were paid by outside money, money from outside the country that would flow in and, and, and provide an instant staff of, of church people to serve. And so Mongolians got used to coming to church to take, to take and to take and to take and to take and to take, but never to give. And a church needs people who come to give. Now, trust me, if you'll follow the Lord's leading in this and give to a church, guess what? You'll get a lot more back. I have no complaints about giving and giving and giving to church. Even before I had paid position in church, tried to help out any way I could with different ministries, give give generously to the, the church's work, have people over to my house. I have no regrets. And you can talk to people who are very dedicated to Elmira Baptist Church. They're here Sunday morning for Sunday school, worship Sunday evening, Wednesday night. They're having people over to their homes during the week. They're going out and visiting. They're making phone calls. And if you find one that is complaining that they give more than they get, you let me know. I'm going to go clock them. No, I'm just teasing. That's not true. I think you'll find most of them are very happy with what God's doing in their life. But a church needs people to give as well as to take. And one of the reasons to be a church member is we need to know whether you're on the team or not. Here in this verse we looked at in 1 Peter 16, 19, there's churches in Asia well, which church do you belong to? You know, if you come to this church one week and then next week you go to Valley Church down the road and then maybe the next week you go to the Father's House and then you're over at Faith Community and then you go to Trinity Baptist, how can, how can you give and how can you serve in any one of those if we don't know which one you're going to associate with and which one you're going to be committed to? So let me give you some reasons to be a church member. And, and the first is that when you are a member of a church, when you say, yes, I want to be committed to this body of believers... And I want to be committed to this body of doctrine. When you say that, then you become a definite member there. As 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven says, members in particular, you know your place. I had a friend growing up, and his family was one of these folks that they just seemed to go to a different church every month. They'd be in this church, and then they'd be in that church, and then they'd be in this church, and then a couple months later, they'd be in that church. And you know, it was really hard for them to serve anywhere, because the church didn't know how long they were going to be there before they drifted off to the next church. They weren't members in particular anywhere. They were just, people say, well, I'm members of the, of the invisible church. Well, that, that's true. You are invisible in most churches. That's, that's all we know. We need a level of commitment, and if you are a member of this church, you can uh, be used. You can serve here, because we know you're committed. There's a fella I met. Um, I'd only been here about a year, and I met a fella, And as I often do, I said, Hey, you go to church anyway? He said, Yeah. Yeah, I I, I do. I said, Where do you go? He said, I go to Elmira Baptist Church. And what was funny was I had never met this man before in my life. I had been here some hundred times, you know, twice a week, three times a week for a year, and never met him. I said, Are you a member? He said, Yeah, I'm a member. I almost asked, Do they know if you're a member? (laughs) I don't know exactly. I have not met him since. <laughs> he's never come here. Um, I don't know exactly what he's thinking. If you're a member of a church, you would know it. And guess what? The church would know it too, because there's a certain level of commitment. Now, don't misunderstand. Becoming a member of a church does not make you God's child. You don't become a member of a church until you are already God's child. So let's back up a second and let's understand what it takes for anyone to be God's child and and the first thing that you need to know in order to be a member of God's family is that you need to realize that sin is a problem. We all have this sin problem. In fact, most of our cultural problems are arising out of our denial of sin as a problem. You, have you realized, I, I'm, here's one topic. Have you realized in your own acquaintances, the people you know personally, And the friends of friends, have you noticed how many people have died of drug overdoses in the last few years? And the answer is to legalize marijuana. Doesn't that seem a little odd to you? Doesn't that seem like we're going the wrong direction? Now, I could take issue after issue after cultural issue, and so many of our problem is we don't think that man has a basic problem with sin. We like to think that we're pretty good. I mean, I like to think you're pretty good. We had some guests here this morning, and I had a chance to meet them and learn their names. You know what I didn't think? They're probably criminals, <laughs> and we better watch them closely to say, no, no, and I'm not talking about that, but the truth is we all have a sin problem. The Bible gives us 10, com- Bible gives us more than 10, but there's the, the, the 10 commandments we talk about a lot. The fifth of those commandments is honor your father and mother. Boy, that one got me right there. Even to today, there are times when, I have to admit, I'm a little bit irritated at my dad. He can be a little bit irritating sometimes. Right? We don't keep the commandments. Don't lie. How many of you would say, I've never told, don't raise your hand, I've never told a lie. Because if you raise your hand, you're probably lying. (laughs) It's not just the things that we say and that we do, however. How about this one? Don't covet. Don't be greedy. I think a basic definition of the American dream is to want what the other guy has. See, all of these are sins that are in our lives, and sin is what keeps us from a relationship with God. Because as I mentioned earlier, there is no sin in God's presence. In fact, even for Len to be in the, Len Granger, our brother in Christ, to be in the presence of God means that he had to be completely washed of his sin. So how do we get there? How do we get from this sinful body that we all have? The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. How do we get from there to a relationship with God? Well, that's where Jesus Christ comes in. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he rose again, he was paying the sin penalty for you and for me. Um, let's, I hope you have your place in Hebrews 3. We're going to be back there, but turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to look at these verses with me. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 says this. I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. But he, this is Isaiah 53, 5, but he, that's Jesus. But Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. When Jesus died on the cross, he took my sin on his own body. He took the punishment for my sin in my place. That's why he had to die. He wasn't just a persecuted criminal. He he wasn't an agitator that got messed up with the government. He was the sinless son of God who died in my place and paid a penalty for sin that I could never pay. We have to recognize that Jesus Christ died and rose again for my sin. We have to recognize that sin has a real penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Revelation 21.8 says it this way, and I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, we like to, we like to focus on the, on the problems we don't have. Well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not an idolater. Yeah, but how about the fearful? and the unbelieving, and the liars. That's me without Jesus Christ. And the only way to avoid that penalty is to be in Christ. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In order to become a child of God, you have to first recognize that you have a sin problem. That sin problem is taking you to hell. It's real. It's a lake of fire but that Jesus Christ died in your place. John 1 tells us that Jesus came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, to become children of God. There's only one way to have our sins forgiven and to have that eternal life that God promises to us, and that's through Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you've never had your sins forgiven, you've, maybe you've heard about these things, you've thought about them, you haven't put them in any sort of logical order, or maybe you have, but you've never received Christ, then, then you're headed for a very real eternity of punishment. But that's not what God wants. The Bible says God so loved the world. He loved the world to this extent that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him in Jesus should not perish, but have everlasting life. And after you become a child of God, God wants you to be a part to associate with a particular church and to serve there. So becoming a church member does not make you God's child. No, you must be God's child first. But if you are God's child, you you probably have an inward desire. The Holy Spirit's are saying, "Hey, you need to be serving. You need to be doing. You need to be giving." And the best way for that to happen is for you to join yourself, to associate with, to become a member of, if I can use that terminology, a church so that we know you're a member. And you know you're a member. And you know you're committed here. And we know you're committed here. And you can serve here more fully. So when you're a member of a church, you can serve more fully than someone who just comes. Maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes they don't. But second. Another benefit, another reason to be a member is because you place yourself under necessary accountability. Do you remember last week in 1 Peter 5, 5, it said this, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. What does it mean for yea, all of you be subject one to another? It means for me to allow you to observe what I'm doing. And sometimes... Make critical comments. Now, I know nobody likes people in their business. How many of you like someone in your business? I'm not raising my hand, but I'm going to see if anyone. Nobody? Okay. Hey, I get that. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 3. I asked you to hold your place there. As much as I don't like people in my business, I've come to realize I need that accountability. I need people who love me enough to say, Scott, whoa, 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 stop. You're going the wrong direction. Now it hurts. It does. At first, the the walls go up. Who are they to tell me? When I pray and ask the Lord to calm my soul, you know what I notice? They love me enough to say something. They love me enough to say something. We went out to an Indian food restaurant one time with some young people. I was uh, in my 30s. I don't remember my exact age, but I was smart enough to know that when the waiter put down a little dish of red stuff and said, this is really flaming hot, not to eat it by the spoonful. But one of the teen boys said, oh, I like hot stuff. I really like hot stuff. I can take it. He said, I'm going to take it. I said, stop. He said, this was really hot. I don't think you should put a spoonful in your mouth. And my wife was there. Kevin took that spoon, put it right in his mouth. And for the next 30 minutes, he's chugging water. I didn't know that's so hot. Listen, I didn't tell him not to put the hot stuff, whatever it was, in his mouth because I hated him. I didn't tell him that because I wanted to, you know, just make fun of him. I didn't want to see him suffer. He didn't enjoy the rest of the meal because he just had this, I don't even know what the sensation is in his mouth. Now, it's not about hot sauce, okay? It's about accountability. It's about being a part of an organization that loves you enough, a church, in this case, that loves you enough to say, hey, I don't think you should do that. Ephesians 5, 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And here in Hebrews, I ask you to turn back to Hebrews 3. Look at verse 12 with me. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Hebrews three twelve says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So that's the context, people going away from God. But verse 13 says, but exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I know this verse applies to us because earlier I said today we are having a food and fellowship. Do you realize today is still called today? And as long as it's called today, we're to be exhorting each other to not depart from God, not to go our own way. Yes, all we like sheep, we went astray. We turned everyone to his own way, but God has turned us back into his way. Now, we don't want to depart from that again, and I need you to watch me, and you need me to watch you and say, hey, listen, that's flaming hot. Don't put a spoonful in your mouth. Some years ago, as a part of a church. I was a much younger member at the time, so I didn't have direct knowledge, but I know we were praying for a man. We're praying for a man who had abandoned his wife and his children and was living with a woman who is not his wife. But he was a member of the church where I was. I was a member there too. And so we began to pray for him. And a couple of the men of the church, they went to confront him to say, hey, you can't do this. You don't realize the suffering you're already causing to your wife and children and the suffering you're going to continue to cause to your wife and children. So they went, they confronted him. Again, I was not there. I just know that we saw it as an answer to our prayers when that man left the woman that was not his wife and returned to his wife and children. Now, there was a lot of healing, as you can imagine, that needed to happen. But again, that's what a church does. It helps people, doesn't it? And by God's grace, about 15 years ago now, it was in the mid-2000s, I met that man, his wife, and his three boys at another church. And his three boys were in Bible college at that time. And since then, one of them has become a pastor of a church because God is good. But what if that church would have said, well, that's awkward to talk to that guy about his sin. I mean, hey, I don't, you go ahead. No, no, you, you know, pastor, it's your job. Pastor says, well, I'm really busy that now. I got some visits to make. And if no one would have ever confronted him, can you see how that would have led to a different result? I can tell you today that man and his wife and his boys are so glad that somebody had the gall to say, you can't do this. We need that accountability. You know, Americans, we hate accountability. We're we're a society that's running from accountability like a dog that's dug underneath the fence and finally thinks it has its freedom. But I can tell you, unless you're cruel to your pets, your dog is much better inside the fence than outside, isn't he? Thinks he's better off outside. And as as Americans, we don't need to run, as Christians, excuse me, as Christians, we don't need to run from accountability. We need to be subject one to another. I need you to watch me. You need me to watch you. We need to help each other. And when you're a member of the church, we can do that. Now, there are people that are visiting today, and I'm so glad you're here. But frankly, if I find out you're doing something wrong, I'm not likely to come to your house and say, hey, you've got to quit doing this why? You're not a member. I don't know your level of Christian commitment, but if you're a member here, I know you're committed here. Then I see it as my duty to say, hey, that's hot. Don't put a spoonful in your mouth to say, hey, you can't live in sin. You're not going to find joy and happiness and peace in this direction. So that's another reason to be a church member. There's several other reasons, but I want to skip down to this part here about understanding the importance of church membership and focus on just one piece of that, and that's to put down deep roots. I've told some of you this. We've had conversations, and I said, listen, you're a Christian, yes, but you need to be a committed Christian. You need to put down some deep roots somewhere. Now, not everyone has to put down deep roots here at Elmira Baptist Church. There are good churches in the area, and I'm not against that. But I've said to several of you, you better put down deep roots somewhere. And uh, as an illustration of this, I'm going to talk about redwood trees. How many of you have ever seen a redwood tree? Okay, all of you probably have. You just don't know it. But redwood trees are pretty common. Even here in this part of California, you don't have to go very far to see redwood trees. Now, I grew up, some of my growing up years, I was in Mendocino County, and Mendocino County has redwood trees they will stretch from the ground up over 300 feet high. They can be up to, I believe it was, 26 feet in diameter at the base. These are massive, massive trees. But unlike most trees, redwood trees don't put down a deep taproot. What they do is their roots only go down, even though the, the trees are 300 feet high, they maybe only go down 15 or 20 feet. And then they spread out maybe 60 or 80 feet. But what they do, what redwood tree roots do, is they intertwine with the roots of the other trees. So that's why you very rarely see a solitary redwood tree all by itself. You almost always see a grove of redwood trees, because they depend on each other for stability. As we've seen recently, the soil gets really wet. Big wind comes, right, and just blows down trees. But it's rare, not impossible, especially after it dies, it'll be blown over. But it's rare for a living redwood tree to be blown over because its roots are intertwined with other redwood tree roots. That's one of the ways you're going to put down deep roots. You're going to find a church, a group of believers that loves you enough to hold you accountable, to help you stay upright. Put down some deep roots. To put down deep roots, it takes time redwood trees are often four, five, six hundred years old. They can live to be over 2,000 years old. And if you're going to put down roots in any church, whether it's this church or another church, it's going to take time. How many folks have we seen? They'll come for a week or two weeks or a month or two months or three months, but then something happens and we don't see them again. You can't put down deep roots in three months. You can't even put down deep roots, I'd say, in a year. I think it takes more time than that. But you have to be committed to that time. Not just time as in a length of time, but it takes time to come to worship on Sundays with us. It takes time to come to the Sunday school hour and study with us. It takes time to come on Wednesday night. But let me tell you, all of us have the same amount of time, with one exception. You all know who the one exception is. The one exception is mothers with little children. They don't have the same amount of time. The rest of us, we don't have an excuse. It's just a matter of where we are at that time. Now, some of you have jobs, and you can't be with us because of work. I understand, although I'd encourage you to talk to your boss about getting Sundays off. But all of us have as much time as anyone else. It's not really a matter of time management. It's a, it's a matter of value management, what we think is important. There, You realize there are people today they've paid literally thousands of dollars to be stuck in traffic in San Francisco. You couldn't pay me thousands of dollars to go to San Francisco today, but they've paid thousands of dollars to go to San Francisco. Why? Because they're committed 49ers fans and they want to see the 49ers beat the Cowboys another time. Now, if you ask me, that's commitment. We don't have traffic problems out here. You can come to church and never get stuck in traffic out here. The biggest traffic jam we have is getting out of the parking lot. It's a matter of time. Do you really want to be with God's people? Look at your watch tonight at about, 5 o'clock, about 4.30, depending on how far you have to drive. Look at your watch about 4.30 tonight and ask yourself, what am I going to do for the next two hours? And, and, and ask yourself, is it more important than worshiping with God's people? I'm being serious. Ask yourself. Is it more important than worshiping with God's people? Now, I know some people have trouble driving at night when it's dark. You can watch from home, I understand. But there is nothing like joining with God's people to worship Him. That's what Scotty and I were expressing. It's just a joy to hear your voices and know that you're singing from the heart. But it does take time. It takes time to be a part of the ministry here. We're gearing up for Vacation Bible School. Well, I am. You're not quite yet. You remember how much fun we had last summer? Dozens of kids, teens, adults, getting together. We had a great time, but it does take time. It takes time to prepare ahead of time. We had a couple ladies come and completely transform this room. I felt like I was going to (laughs) drown. The theme was an underwater theme. It takes time to minister. It takes time to pray for each other. I know a, a couple, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass them, but I know a couple, they spend hours each week praying for you. They do. You probably don't even pray for them, but they spend hours every week praying for you. But part of being a uh, part of this church, remember this church, is that we pray for one another. Do you take time to pray for each other? It takes time to put down deep roots. I'm encouraging you today, if you're a member of Elmira Baptist Church, to see that as an investment in God's kingdom. You know, your investments in your mutual funds or whatever may never pay off, but I tell you what, your investments in God's kingdom pay off for eternity. Even if you invested in Google 20 years ago or Amazon and you're a millionaire today, you will only get to enjoy that investment for a limited length of time. But what you invest in what's heavenly, well, you'll have all of eternity to enjoy that. It's worth your time is what I'm saying. But there's a second thing, and it takes commitment. It takes commitment to put down deep roots. Sometimes people get discouraged. They get discouraged, and they don't feel like joining us for worship. They don't feel like joining us for a Bible study. The story goes, and this is an apocryphal story, but the story goes that a fellow woke up one morning and he was so grumpy, he was so tired, he didn't feel spiritual at all. It was Sunday morning, he said to his wife, he said, I'm grumpy, I'm tired, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, I am not going to church. You cannot convince me to go to church today. His wife said, but honey, you're the pastor. (laughs) This is the only day all week you're going to work. I know, I don't always feel like coming It takes commitment to say, I'm going to be there whether I feel like it or not. Sometimes we get into sin. There's a besetting sin. It keeps tripping us up and we feel guilty. And we say, you know what? I'm going to stay away from church until I can get past this sin. That's the wrong idea. You get into church. You find a brother if you're a man. You find a sister if you're a lady and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm really struggling. I've done this. Pray for me fellow prays for me. He he starts praying for me at that moment, and he just keeps praying for me daily. He may ask me the next week, hey, uh, how's it going with this? And sometimes I have to hang my head and say, did you pray? Because it doesn't feel like you've prayed. (laughs) And sometimes they say, it's great. Can't believe how God (laughs) answered your prayer. But it takes commitment to be here. Just because you're discouraged, just because you feel guilty, don't stay away. Commit to being here. That's where the discipline comes in. That's where the discipline comes in. You choose where you want to be on Sundays. And if you want to be here with us, you can be, barring illness, barring a strange work schedule, you can be. Or you can watch football. But I can tell you, your investment in watching football will not pay off like your investment in worshiping the Creator God Commitment takes time. It takes commitment. There's one more thing it takes. And we looked at this last week, but I want to go back to it because it's true. It takes humility and it takes cooperation. Have you ever noticed that churches would be great, but for the people? (laughs) Uh, Churches are great, but there's always people in them. (laughs) That's where the humility comes in, doesn't it? We looked at it last week. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Cooperation and the enjoyment of working with one another comes out of humility. Oftentimes, not always, but often the reason we have trouble serving alongside someone else is because we're proud and we are so sure we've got it right and they've got it wrong. Now again, if there's sin involved, the Bible's clear, we can We can help each other. We can hold each other accountable. But a lot of times, it's just preference. This morning, one of the Sunday school classes, you already missed it, I'm sorry, but they had cinnamon rolls. And some of the cinnamon rolls had glaze on them. And some of the cinnamon rolls did not have glaze on them. Now, I I give it to Tammy for making both kinds. Because me, I just make them all without glaze. And I'd say, if you don't like it, don't eat it. (laughs) It's just preference. You want glaze on you? You don't want glaze? Fine. There's so many times we can't get along with each other because we're proud and we're convinced that the other person has it wrong. And really what it needs, is, what we need is just to be humble and allow people to do what they're going to do. Not not sin. I'm not talking about that. But just make unglazed cinnamon rolls. <laughs> Redwood trees have an interesting characteristic. As you know, as they grow taller, their crown is way up off the ground, tens, twenties, hundreds of feet up off the ground. And their bark burns very easily, chars very easily. And so when there's a fire that goes through a redwood tree grove, the bark will burn and form a protective charred layer around the tree. And unless the fire gets up into the crowns, up into the high parts of the tree, that tree won't won't even be seriously damaged. It's not very susceptible to fire. I think that's a good reminder to us that when we have a spirit of humility, we're not easily offended. And when we are offended, and offenses happen, we pray, we ask God for wisdom and grace and the proper words, and we go to the person who offended us and we say, hey, this hurt. This hurt. And the other person, he's going to hear us out because he's humble. He's going to say, you know, yeah, forgive me. I should, that, that hurt you. Forgive me. And this person says, you know, you're forgiven. And then we go on and we serve. Why? Because there's humility there, but it takes time and it takes commitment and it takes humility to put down deep roots and to be a member of a church. So here's my challenge to you this morning. If you're a member here, let me remind you, we need you to put in the time to be committed, to be humble, and you need us to hold you accountable. Spurgeon once went to visit a, a church member who had not been in church for a long time. And of course, this was 150 years ago, so they didn't have uh, gas furnaces and uh, electric heat. So they sat, on this winter day, they sat by a fireplace. Fire going there in the fireplace, and it was a nice fire. It felt warm. Spurgeon picked up the poker, fireplace poker, not to beat his church member. No, he took that fireplace poker, and as they talked, he just took one of the coals that was toward the edge of the fire, and he just pulled it away from the fire out onto the hearth. It was an open fire. Pulled it out of the fire and onto towards the hearth. And you can imagine after 10, 15, 20 minutes, that coal had turned dark and had ceased to put off any heat. So they just kept talking, and Spurgeon just pushed that coal back into the middle of the fire. And guess what? Within a few minutes, that coal was red hot and heat again. I understand from this story, Spurgeon didn't say anything to the member about whether he should be in church or not. He just, little object lesson out of the fire, back into the fire. Do you want to be a red hot Christian? Do you want to be on fire for God? Do you want to be that warm glow that people can enjoy? Well, then don't isolate yourself. Don't only come to church when it's convenient. You be committed. You make it a point to be here. Don't be offended easily. And when there are offenses, properly, with grace and humility, go to the person who's offended you. Express the problem and let them Solve it together. If you can't solve it together, come get me or come get one of the deacons and we'll get it solved in a spirit of humility. And then I want to challenge those of you who are not a church member. You know you're a Christian. You know. There's no doubt in your mind. Your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you're not a member anywhere. You've just sort of been drifting from church to church or maybe you've been out of church for a long time. I don't know. I want to challenge you to put down some roots. Find a church. It doesn't have to be Elmira Baptist Church, but God wants you somewhere putting down deep roots. And if you're not a Christian at all, today can be the day of salvation for you because you don't have to become a church member. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to give a certain amount in the offering, but simply by faith in Jesus Christ, you can know your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. I would hate, we, the church, would hate for any guest to leave this morning wondering if you're a Christian when the Bible says these things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We want you to know you have eternal life. Father, thank you for the group of folks you've gathered here today, and I am grateful for the committed core of members here at Elmira Baptist Church that make this ministry go. You've given me a, a great team to be a part of, and I thank you, Lord, for the team. I pray for the church members they they've lacked commitment. It's it's not work. It's not illness. It's not injury. They've just uh, prioritized other things. Lord, impress upon them today the importance of putting down deep roots, committing time, being committed, giving time, being humble, not being offended, so that they can be a more integral part of our church. And for those that are not yet members of any church, I pray that you'd open their eyes today to the importance of membership, whether it's here or at another uh, body of believers, that they can find like-minded Christians and, and put their shoulders to the harness and pull with them in this glorious ministry of plowing and sowing seed and reaping a harvest. Father, I pray for any that are here this morning that are not Christians. They don't even know if their sins are forgiven. Maybe they're not even sure about sin or who you are. My ask, my request, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, of righteousness and of judgment, so that they would see their, their deep need for Jesus Christ, for that salvation that is only in him, that rescue from the eternal consequences of sin. And I place all these in your hands and pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.